Hello, reader. I'm Alex. And I'm Kelly. And this is the Lit Joy Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our Valeris Bookshelf Alley. This is from A Court of Thorns and Roses, Akatar by Sarah J. Moss. Bookshelf alleys are these really beautiful three-dimensional light boxes that we create and we made them to look like the shape of a book so they just fit like an alleyway between your books on your bookshelf they're beautiful this one in particular features Rezend and Feyre at Starfall it is one of our most popular items of all time and so we're able to work with Sarah to bring it back into stock for a pre-order event so the event is happening from January 24th to February 15th it is just Only in that window, we're collecting pre-orders before we place the order for this bookshelf alley. We wanted to make sure it was a pre-order so that as many people could get it as possible. And you can sign up to be on the wait list right now. If it is not the 24th yet of January, you can sign up for the wait list at litjoycrate.com slash Valeris. That's V-E-L-A-R-I-S. That's where our wait list is happening. It's basically just a notify me list that lets us know that you're interested and we will send you an email when sales open so that you can come and get your bookshelf alley. We also want to tell you guys about our reading journal that we have in stock right now. This is one of my favorite items that we've ever created. It is something that we try to keep in stock at all times, and it's perfect right now with the new year happening. Um, It's a great way to keep track of your reading goals. There are so many different kinds of pages in there that are interactive. Um, We've got lots of fun pages for tracking the books you've read. You know, there's book to movies. There's Lots of pages where you can keep track of uh, the books from all over the world. I'm trying to remember that pages. Yeah, there's like like, world travel pages. There's there's also like bookshelf pages where you can fill in your book titles and color them in. So it's just like a really beautiful way to interact with your reading. I love it because then you can really just keep track of your review, your star rating, your thoughts, a favorite quote, things like that as well. And these are perfect for book clubs. I actually did give these out to everyone in my book club last year. Everyone's very excited to start filling them out. So just wanted to remind everyone to go check out those reading journals and they do come in several colors. This is part two of our book club book recommendations. Yes, these are books that are going to lend to great discussion, deep discussions, or just a fun party, a fun book club. Yeah. One hell of a party. One hell of a- So we did our first episode on this and it's our first seven books that we recommend. Here's our next. And now we're in the middle of it. We've got part two and then we will have a third as well. Third episode. Yep. So part two, similar mix of genres, diving right in. Book Club Book Pick, The Forgotten Garden by Kate Morton. Ooh, yes. Again, we've mentioned this book a couple times, but it really is a great one. And it lends itself to so many different types of book clubs or discussions. Yes. So Kate Morton's books, um, as we've mentioned, are are very, very atmospheric. She writes a story where she's going to like slowly unfold the landscape, the house, all the little details, all the little workers, the garden. All the players. So it's kind of a slow start for her books, I find, mm-hmm. in that because she's like laying the groundwork for all of this. Mm-hmm. And what you don't realize is that it is kind of creating that tension and suspense as she's laying it out slowly. Yes. And then it all starts to just come to a head. And they're always like these historical fiction mysteries. Yes. Um, which, again, is kind of a niche genre. You don't see that very often. Uh, beautiful writer. She's from Australia. And this is like her jam is like historical fiction, make it a mystery, slap a pretty light cottage on the cover. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite. You're like, done. I'm like, <laughs> so, um, so this year garden is no exception, right? Yeah. So the Forgotten Garden is all about um, a scenario where, well, you just, you don't quite understand 
the narrator, I guess, is the best way to describe it. It's one of those things where, like, there's a big plot twist at the very end. Yeah. Like, all is revealed at the end. Um, and so the there's essentially a book of fairy tales that kind of pushes the story forward from what I remember. Yeah. So the and, book opens and it's like this um, daughter with her daughter. Yes. And there's this grandma um, figure that I can't remember if she's alive or dead now. It's been a minute. But anyways, oh, she goes to the grandma's house or like her mm-hmm. mother's house and she finds this old suitcase. And the yes. old suitcase is full of like letters and pictures and things and like that. And her grandma's obviously like her grandma, her mother, her life history is yeah. not what she thought it was. And this is like in the 70s or something like yes. that. And then it's like you go whoop, back, whoop, you go back in time yep. and you're getting the history of like the great grandma, that kind of a thing. Yes. Like where, where, what was her family's real history? Yes. In this kind of enchanted like mansion, garden, cottage mm-hmm. setting in England. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, I want to talk about the reason I loved this one so much is because there are family secrets. And I wanted to talk about books about family, like why it's so interesting to have a book club um, discussion about a book that asks a question like, what do you do with a family secret? Yeah. Because this book club discussion was fascinating. I have a few family secrets that I will not share. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, but there's family secrets that are so interesting. There was in our book club, there's ones about like, you know, like my neighbor found out that she had a brother she never knew about or that her dad wasn't her real dad or um, these family secrets of like, um, you know, like we had a second family or there were so many really from here, but we always said we were Irish, but we're really this, you know? And that was just from our book club. Like secrets were pouring out when we started getting into this discussion and I'm all, interesting just in our small select group oh yeah there's all these deep family secrets and and still like where people are like they still don't know you know like yes. there's still the secret around the secret yes oh my god it was fascinating and on top of just the family secrets and the interwovenness of the generations it was full of historical facts and yeah. i'm over here like nerding out yes um, i know and so I did this, I ran this one and I had like a full PowerPoint. I was like, get ready guys. And what people didn't realize possibly, cause you know, they're just enjoying the story is so much of what was written in this one was historical. It's based on actual things in that yes. time period when it goes back in time. So it was fun to just kind of bring all those to light as well to, I think really showcase how genius Kate is in her writing yes. as well, that she's so thorough in her research in incorporating all those little details into yeah, the book. Yeah, she totally immerses herself in the story, but she has like a writing quality about writing personalities that's similar to Leanne, Moriar- Leanne Moriarty. Yeah. Where like, I love how Kate describes a character because she'll say something about like their facial expression or their response to something or how they would describe a smell. And you totally get who the person is. Yeah. She has this way of being very subtle in her descriptions of personality and character that makes them feel so much more real and authentic. I feel like oftentimes in books, characters are like, or, you know, the author's like, she was stubborn. Yeah. You know, and and they'll like, instead, she'll talk about how like someone didn't put a grocery away the way that they knew that their partner wanted them to put the grocery away because they were stubborn. Mm -hmm. But she shows you instead of telling you. Yeah. Oh, she's so good at yeah. it. So I'm like, it, good point. it's such, she's such a fun author to read for book clubs specifically, I feel like. Yeah. And just like you mentioned, like Leanne Moriarty, 
of course, every person's flawed, but I feel like in books, sometimes it's really obvious some are more flawed than others. And in this book, uh, along with a lot of hers, they're all equally flawed. And so you kind of don't know where it's going to yes. go because of that yes. with the mysteries. And you're finding there's like multiple things that are coming out, but you still not, not like the big reveal. Oh, and then you have to ask yourself, you're like, I feel like I'm just as flawed or just as like functional as some of these characters. Yeah. And you're like, could I be capable of doing some of these things? Yeah. Right. If given the right circumstances, am I capable of keeping this big of a secret? And I'm not. I, Kelly's <laughs> like, I just uh, don't just say it. I can't. Don't no, give me that pressure. It's, it's fascinating what you yeah. will keep to yourself or what you would reveal uh, mm-hmm. when you read these circumstances. So it puts you in the book and makes you ask those really good discussion mm-hmm. questions. Also, I thought this was a pretty good audiobook. Yeah. The audio on this one. Yeah. I can still hear the, the, it was the piano music. And yes. It uh, kind of sure. stuck with me. So I'm going to keep recommending it, but Forgotten yep. Garden, Kate Morton, give that yep. one a read. Okay. On to our first classic on our list of yes. book club wrecks. Go ahead, Kelly. Take it away. Yes. The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Oh, so, I love Oscar Wilde. So <sighs> So moody. I just love him in general as a person. You know, the more I've learned and researched about him, I'm like, amazing. He's an aesthetic. Yeah. He, and then on top of like his work is incredible. And so again, with my book club, um, how I like to push this is we have to at least read one classic every year in our lineup. And mm-hmm. so when we read this one, this was, I don't know, eight years ago or something, but oh, we had so much fun with this one. And that's when I fell in love with his works because I hadn't had a chance to read them yet. So yes. quotable as oh, well. Yes. Very so he, you know, Oscar Wilde born London, you know, Victorian kind of era, 1800s, all my jam. And I like that he can just say things so poignantly. And yeah. so that's why he's so quoted, right? There's so many quotes you may not even realize they're Dorian Gray or from Dorian Gray from yes. Oscar Wilde. Um, he's also written The Importance of Being Earnest, and mm-hmm. he's got his own set of fairy tales, which are also incredible. Which I think you have a, like yeah. a really cool copy of that. I can't remember if I bought you that or told your husband to buy it for you. Um, I think you got that one for I me. I think I did. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So th- Oscar, this this specific one is a horror thriller fiction, French fiction is kind of how it's French defined. Fiction. French fiction. It was like defined that way. I'm all cool. Okay. I love it. Um, oui, oui. But there's a gentleman, Dorian Gray, mm. and he is given this paradox, this situation where he will never age, but a portrait of him will and it's not just aging it is Mm -hmm. all of his the consequences for his actions Mm -hmm. are reflected on this portrait while he remains kind of this immortal yeah beautiful flawless like individual gentleman Mm -hmm. you know he is living a very morally gray yeah (laughs) morally gray hedonistic lifestyle and um when he's kind of being egged on right yes by his like mentor influencer um an older an older best friend kind of figure and um and he makes pretty you know he lives life debauchery like makes some bad decisions because he's in a position of privilege and he's been given opportunities and he doesn't make great choices with them because the so how it starts is like he's so innocent, so sweet, yeah. just this kind little kid, basically. Yeah. And then he kind of comes under this, you know, mentorship of, oh, I forgot his name. That's why it's killing me. But I know. Oh, this gentleman. And uh, he's the one that's kind of pushing him to 
kind of like really live life and to just get out there and sin while you can and then like live up life and the women. And, and it's almost like he's trying to live his life through Dorian, right? Yes. And that's, and then I can't remember how, but he gets his portrait drawn. Like, I think it's, give, it might have been gifted, but I can't remember the, the classic. It's written like a classic. So yeah. as you're reading it, it does have kind of these like meandering, like wandering yeah. prose. Like you kind of end up in, there's a few chapters in there where you're like, okay, like, and then it brings you back. So it definitely has kind of that like long windedness that you see in a lot of classics mm-hmm. um, because that was such the writing style. Um, but essentially it kind of comes back around that this portrait, I believe it was gifted to him, but we can we can do more research on that. The artist had a crush on Dorian. That's what it was. And yeah. like poured his heart and soul into this painting. And that's like the magic behind it, yes. basically. And it's a beautiful portrait, but Dorian doesn't make great choices with the artist or with anyone. Mm-hmm. And it becomes this grotesque and decrepit portrait because it's showing what he's truly like on the inside. Yeah. And that's why it's this picture. And it's like horrific it is so cool he hides it behind a curtain so it has like all of these twisted dark like thriller elements to it well i know it's almost like a journal too for dorian because you get the full arc of his lifespan where he's like innocent and then he's kind of coming into this like oh i can choose and have this power in my life and he makes some poor choices he says he ends up hurting the woman he loved at the time. And then he like goes on this world journey. Like he's traveling the world, experiencing life. And, you know, he ends up in like opium dens and he's with women and he's debauchery, like just doing things that are considered, I guess, sins, you know, I think that word comes up in the book. And by the time he comes back home, oh, it's Basil. Basil. Yes. That's the guy. That's what his name It just like clicked. Um, When he comes back and he's talking with them again, you know, years have passed and they're just like, how have you not aged? How are you perfect? Like, they're just like touching him like, oh my gosh. And, you know, he's just like, oh, I don't know. I just, you know, found some cool things on my travels that helped out with that. But that's where he really starts to hide who he is, but he keeps a journal. And so that's some of the meandering stuff that you're talking about. You'll kind of like go on the journey with him where where he's at. And he's kind of a romantic as well. And then he can be very dramatic and you just go on the journey of his emotions um, but yes, by the end, you're going to get, it's where it gets creepy and gothic and cool. And we made a beautiful edition of this. Lichoy did. Yes. And we, we do. We, we have this be- amazing vellum page because of you watch the portrait age and get all gross and wormy and holy and almost like, uh, kind of like, like rotting. A, yeah. It's like a rotting corpse. It's kind of what it ends up yeah. looking like. And I've seen a couple of the movies out there on this and it's just in my mind so much better in a book. Yeah to try to portray it in real life because there's a little bit of that magical realism to it for sure the movie has ben barnes and he's um dorian gray in it um and he's perfect he was the perfect age with the hair anyways yes. he does a good job but that movie was hard to watch like it's- yeah i haven't seen a fabulous rendition of dorian gray yet yeah. and um i do think that part of what makes it so good for a book club is that it it kind of um it's a classic that definitely challenges the your book club group to read a classic that is entertaining. It is, yeah. And 
it has like that psychological element to it that lends to great discussion. So asking like, what did you think about his behaviors? What did you think about the portrait? What do you think it symbolizes? Books that have symbolism in them are so great for discussion because symbolism has multiple interpretations. Yeah, And so that was really fun to kind of talk with the book club about like, why do you think it was symbolized as a portrait and what do you think it means to to Dorian you know like why does he not get rid of the portrait like all these different questions you can ask yourself totally in the concept of what we do and you know let's say sins against humanity or yourself whatever being reflected visually visually in some way was a very interesting discussion because everyone's like oh like it's my portrait yeah what would I look like you know And, and it was fascinating we um we actually created a portrait, uh, like an empty portrait, mm-hmm. and everyone could take their picture in it at book club. Fun. And then we did like two versions of ourselves. It was kind of funny, but it was just another way to try to bring it to life. But it was very symbolic, and it the discussion around it was totally fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Oh, it's just such a good yeah. one. I'm like, read it, guys. It's a great class. Out of classics, you know, this one is one of the most entertaining. You said it well. Okay. We're going to pivot to one of my favorite books. It's so good. Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Yes. I'm like, I will read the synopsis. I must. (laughs) Stretching. Okay. Ready? Yes. Science fiction, space fantasy, adult thriller, technically what it's the genre is. I just think it is overall awesome. So (laughs) Rylan Grace is a sole survivor on a desperate last chance mission. And if he fails, humanity and Earth itself will perish. He wakes up and he doesn't know all of this to be true yet, right? Uh, He can't remember his own name. He doesn't know the nature of his assignment. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know why he's feel he can tell he's been asleep for a really long time. He finds himself millions of miles away from home. So he's not on earth any longer and all of his crewmates are dead. And you find this all out very quickly, right in the beginning of the book. He's like, it wakes up and there's dead bodies around him of his two crewmates, mm-hmm. right? So you're like, oh, you're immediately dropped into it. The book is fascinating because it it's like his experience where he is in space right now. Yeah. And then every other chapter is like him, where he's at, trying to problem solve, trying to remember things. As he remembers something, it becomes a flashback and yeah. you're back on Earth several years earlier. A certain amount of years earlier. Yes. And um, and you're he- learning about what's happening on Earth back then and why it's linked to what he's doing right now in space. It's an amazing vehicle to give backstory as yes. to the actual story while keeping it so entertaining in the moment. Yes. So there's pressure of the moments on. Yes. And it just builds the more his amnesia dissipates. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. It was incredible. Like I'm like the funnest, one of the funnest reads ever. <laughs> like I'm like giggling like a little girl. I, I, you know, we've talked about this one as well because it made such an impression. We had an incredible book club on it. Um, Alex, again, because uh, she's so into aliens and uh, space, space, you know, and space travel and, and other planets. Yeah. So she and her husband put together a presentation and we learned a lot <laughs> about aliens in space. Sorry. And I don't know what that sound was. It just it was came awesome. out of my body. <laughs> You're excited. Yeah, okay. Look, all right. So I'm like, statistically, alien life exists in 100%. the universe. It's like it's like an infinite 99.9% chance. Yeah. That, I mean, and governments have officially just been like, yes, they exist. Yeah. So the government, where you wherever you're listening to this in the history of humanity, uh, the government has confirmed that UAPs are real, that they're mm-hmm. they're non-Earth craft or non-Earth. 
our dimension craft. So yeah. they could be multidimensional craft, right? And they also said that they've di- they've recovered biologicals, okay? Oh so this book has themes of life elsewhere yeah. in it. So I was like, this feels like the perfect opportunity to convince everybody of aliens. <laughs> so me and my husband, my nerdy, beautiful <laughs> husband, he's just like the best. The two of us got together and created a hour and a half presentation case study on why aliens are real. You did. We got really into it. You convinced everyone. It was and great. everybody at the end, me and Tyler looked at each other and were like, did we accidentally create a cult? Because they were all like, I believe. And I was like, just pay us 10% and we will make this official. No, we're not starting a cult. We would be horrible at leading a cult. We change our mind all the time. Um, but one thing that was so fun about it was the book led to like a completely in like engaging conversation. Yes. I mean, you could read this book and just talk about what it would be like to experience yep. waking up in space. I think that that's just enough conversation to yep. get someone through a book club. But the fact that it talks about like life on other planets, yeah, like from amoebas to actual like humanoids, you know, mm-hmm. it is so fun to I read. <laughs> Andy Weir has this gift, whatever he writes it is so visual. Like I immediately see it as like a movie. Yeah, you're like, I'm in a space. It's cinematic. It's cinematic. Thank yes. you. So it is very cinematic in its approach. And the other thing that I love about his writing is he's talking about some really deep science in all of his books. Yes. And astrophysics and things like that. And shocking that he brings everyone along for the journey in a way that is so palatable. Yeah. And again, genius because the vehicle for that in this book was he is like a high school science teacher. Yes. So he has this broad knowledge of science that he can break down into uh, bite-sized information that as a reader, you're like, oh, I mean, I didn't get everything, but I got the gist for sure. Yeah, I got enough of it to know what was good and bad. Yeah. What? Okay, so Ryland Grace, the yeah. main character, he gets his PhD in astrological biology, essentially. So like... Uh, space, life in space, Yeah. right? So what would conditions need to be in space for life to exist? Mm-hmm. So he has a PhD, like deep knowledge in biology and specifically like what biology you might find elsewhere. In space or, yeah. Yeah, like um, so living in extreme conditions, what we would consider extreme conditions, life can exist, yeah, right? Like extreme heat, extreme cold. Yes, like no light, like no way, right yeah. next to the sun like how does how does life evolve in our universe mm-hmm. so that's what he has a phd uh in, in and then he gets kind of shunned by his community and he yeah. kind of pouts and like leaves his phd like academics and he's all that's not for me anyways yeah because they kind of make fun of him for you know his claims thinking outside the box yeah and so he kind of just gives up on his career and then becomes like a middle school science teacher and so mm-hmm. he learns a huge breadth of of science. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Andy's so brilliant that yeah. he was like, yeah. that's the perfect way to make this book relatable is mm-hmm. he has to be good enough at science to try and solve some problems and to be accepted as an astronaut in space. Mm-hmm. But he has to be able to take the reader on a journey into some pretty complicated biology that like most people wouldn't understand. Yeah. I I know that in our book club again, because that's the context I have. But I had several people text me and they're like, am I going to like this book? Because it yeah. seems like heavy on science. And I was like, just trust me, give it a go. Yeah. Everybody read it. Everybody loved it. Everyone gave it four to five stars out of five. Yeah. Um, and everyone understood it perfectly great. If you've read or seen The Martian, which yeah. is his other- Then you're 
huge book. You get, you kind of get the, the same sense. What I love about it is the Martian is talking about like being stuck out in space, you know, and how he can survive and get back. And this takes it the next step further about like, but what if the earth is like on a collision course and we have 20 years to figure it out or else we're going to, earth is going to be gone because there's like an asteroid that's going to hit it. Yeah. I mean, that's not exactly what's happening. That's not the scenario what's going on earth, There's but it is that, yeah. yeah, that same, like the stakes are high. The stakes are high and that earth has like 20 years to figure it out. Yeah. And so they're pulling together all these experts. Oh, it is so fun to read. Like yeah. the experts are fun. It's like there's a specific character, my favorite character. I won't give it away, but she's pretty much she all the governments come together and put her in charge of solving yeah. the problem. And she's just like one of the most badass sub characters yeah. that's ever existed. So I'm like, we've gone on for like 10 minutes about this book. <laughs> I'm like, read it. Uh, create a PowerPoint presentation on aliens if you yeah. want. Like, follow my nerdy example. It's fantastic. It's, it's amazing. For sure. Everyone should read this one regardless if it's a yes. book club. That's where I'm like, just read it. It's super fun. And uh, I would recommend The Martian as well. Yeah. So if you want to start with The Martian or start with this one, they both, I love them both. And yeah. they don't go together. They're mm -hmm. both standalones. So they're both great. Yeah. We wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about a very important event that is happening at LitJoyCrate.com. Oh my gosh, tell us. I know. On, on February 21st, Lunicorns will get early access to the Vampire Academy Collector's Edition box set. So this box set is gorgeous. It has features we've never done before, which we always try and do something a little special. But this one is Pretty epic. Um, it drops on February 21st to Lunicorns and it opens to the public on the 22nd. And if you're like, Alex, what's a Lunicorn? I can tell you. <laughs> a Lunicorn is our nickname for our membership group. Our membership group is a group of readers just like you, but they come back to LitJoy and get extra perks. So they have early access. There's Lunicorn exclusive items. Mm -hmm. There's extra Lunicorn discounts. And we have a, a Facebook membership group where we do lives and we reveal product ahead of time, where we ask a bunch of questions or feedback on what product we want or they want us to do. So it's kind of just like this really cool book club, nerdy book club yeah. that we have at LitJoy. So make sure to check out our Lunicorns membership. It's titled membership at the top of our website. And if you're just here for Vampire Academy, it opens to the public on the 22nd. So, oh, so excited for that. Yes, me too. Okay. Plug for that. Okay. Plug for that. Moving on. So this is our 11th recommendation. Yes. Which is A History of Wild Places by Shay Earnshaw. Yes. Um, this was a really interesting read. Uh, it is, again, we're talking mystery, thriller, uh, fiction. It's got a little touch of magical realism. Um, and there's some cult information in here, mm -hmm. which was its I, own discussion. Loved it. Okay, so the book kind of starts with this main character, Travis Wren. He's tasked with, um, he's really good at finding missing people and it is, or solving mysteries. Yeah, he's right? like a PI. He kind of is, but here's the thing. There's this little element of magical realism in it where he has this magical ability that if he touches an object, he can visually see the history of that object. He gets like visuals of where it was, how it got there, who had it, that kind of a thing. I'm like, it borderlines magical realism or somebody who just has that sixth sense. Yeah. Like um, it. Like people who can really tune in to that other like uh, plane. Yeah. By being able to see, you know, uh, like or feel something and experience a spirit that's attached to it. 
Yeah. So he's definitely like the way it's described in the book feels very much like he's having a visual experience, like yeah. a vision of what's happening. Um, and then uh, so he gets hired to go find Maggie St. James, yeah. this character. And that's the beginning part of the book. And then it it ends that beginning part, kind of part one ends. And then you are on a totally different character's yeah. journey. And it cuts to this community called Pastoral. Mm. That's where the cult comes in. And I'm like, books about cults are just always fascinating to talk about. Yeah. Because anything can eventually become a cult if people are radicalized enough. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like a religion, politics, doTERRA. Like, <laughs> like it's, you know, it's like yeah. there's... There's this like light version of these things we love and believe in and we care about. And then there's like this like blinders on toxic obsession that you can get with anything. There can be like a cult around K-pop. You know, it's just yeah, it's so interesting to watch human psychology yeah. make something their purpose for living. Mm-hmm. And pastoral is, you know, this community up in the woods and um it's know. like in california like the woods in california is or it? something like that it's actually not that far but it's just that they're tucked away and there's no society around them yes and you again this guy travis who's like trying to find this woman who's been missing it's like in the middle of winter if i remember right and yes. his truck gets stuck in the snow and he just starts walking and then it's like he disappears she and then disappears too. clips to now you're in pastoral and you're part of this community it did yes. feel a little bit like an m Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan kind yes. of like the village, the village or something very much where you're just like, okay, like you're completely immersed in people who are, you know, just making everything by hand, by yeah. scratch. Like that's what they, they do. Harvest. They're, yeah, they're harvesting, they're canning, you know, they're yes. trying to take care of just the day-to-day things. And that's, they're living very simple lives in that regard. But. I know, but there's always a dark and twisty <laughs> part, right? Because it's a yeah. book. The thing that was interesting is the whole time you really don't know where those two main characters are. Yep. And I think the biggest thing that you're asking yourself the whole book is, did they die or are they spying on this community? Mm-hmm. And you, I think that that drives you through learning about this community because in cults, dark things can happen, but they're, they happen in the name of something for the greater good. Yeah. And and I think that's such an interesting defining element of a cult. And so you go on this journey and yeah. you like are very invested. That's what I loved about it is because you, the way she wrote it, you 100% have to fall into that reality yeah. of pastoral. And yeah. you don't really know that it's a cult or, you know, feel like it's a cult. You just are like, oh, these people want to live a simple life yes. and they're all trying to escape something. But that's the beauty of the writing is because she pulls you in and it's just like as if it's so slow, right? Like the water slowly boils and not until the end that you're like, whoa, what did I just join? And what is this? What's happening here? Because it was such that just like a cult, right? Like a slow boil to at the very end. You're like, this is crazy town. Yes. Uh, But it is a a slow and steady read in that sense. And at the end, you're just like mind is blown. I know. And I think that it the questions that came up at book club was kind of around like, Okay, what are things in my life where like is the temperature just being slowly turned up on some of these things? Yep. Or um, you know, you can it, it it shows you how just cults are made up of just like very normal people. Yeah. Like like it you think that you are so clever as a person that you would never be pulled into something that could be darker twisted or yeah. that could be, you know, 
morally ambiguous, but it is so easy to have this cult-like thinking, especially with like technology, because algorithms are made to feed you the things that you like, Mm -hmm. and then they start to shape the things you like because you give it a little attention. And then pretty soon your entire feed is if it's something really toxic, you don't notice it because it's this slow integration of new content to you. And so Mm -hmm. we, we are, if you have a conversation with a person one-on-one without knowing the things about them that you hate, you, you just see them as a human, but you know, things like cult-like behavior comes when you start to see people and tell stories about people and it just becomes this toxic spiral. Oh, it's so fascinating. It was just an interesting study in a community. And yes. how much your community can affect you as yes. well. Because most people are there for the community. Just, yes, you know, they're not like, we're here, Nicole. It's, we're part of this community and this we all have the same um, ide- like ideas of how we want to live our lives. Yes. But the twist is in that where I feel like we had a lot of our discussion is the, how powerful your mind is. Oh, for sure. And also how powerful it can be to have someone who knows how to play with your mind yes the manipulation the manipulation of it and that was incredible and so that was like the other section that we like talked really heavily on was the power of the mind and being influenced by things and uh again it's like i can't give anything away i know i know i I try not to give anything but it we had a really powerful discussion just about that too yeah and the power of the mind and what what that can look like so Obviously, it's a good one. We're kind of it's kind of cloaked in mystery because you got to read it to get the full yep. gist of it. But history of all places was great. I couldn't agree more. Now on to number twelve, <laughs> lessons in chemistry <laughs> by Bonnie Garmus. Yeah, Bonnie, by the way, is kind of like a, a later in life author. This is yeah. her first book, and I think she's in her sixties. It's an incredible debut. She's won so many awards. Oh, it's fantastic! Being made into a movie with yes. Brie Larson. Lessons in chemistry is. Historical fiction and feminism, I would say. But it's just a fantastic read. Highly recommend. Oh, yeah. So in this book, you're getting a character who's in STEM, but in like the 50s. So she's yes. like a scientist in 50s, 60s era. Yes. Um. So nobody's really making room for her. No. And they're making it very difficult for her to just be in her profession, even though she's extremely qualified. And... So that's kind of where this feminism piece is coming in. And I believe she is autistic. Yeah, um, she definitely is neurodivergent. Yes. Yeah. So she just sees things clearly in her mind. It's kind of black and white where she's like, I'm a scientist. Therefore, I should be getting these tools to do my science and to do my experiments. And, and all they're the, like, not unless you lift your skirt up a little higher, Basically, honey. all the men are being really sexist and they harass her in the lab and then there's this they other... discriminate against her oh yeah it was yes. awful it's so hard to read in that way yeah it's infuriating yeah. but it's just not far off from i mean what? experiences that we've had in our life even yeah and so i'm like i i would say i you know there was a couple women in the book club who were kind of like it seemed kind of dramatized and i was like that i i'm glad that you've had an experience in your life where you haven't had men be so blatantly sexist that's not my truth that's not my experience and many of the women in the book club also were like i've experienced similar things to this yeah so it was difficult to read and that it was infuriating because i could relate so potently Mm -hmm. with it but i also felt like it was very um it lended to a great discussion about how she had to overcome these obstacles because yeah. so often we have to overcome prejudice. Like 
giving in to those injustices uh, doesn't create change. Yeah. And so she just didn't accept that this was her circumstances, that she would be, you know, looked over for jobs, fired, not given awards, not given material. You People know. stole her work. Yes. And labeled it as their own, which across history happens. All the time for All women. All the time. And women have been written out of history for, you know, thousands of years. So this is a topic we're passionate about. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's a separate podcast that we'll sure. do as well, because uh, just, you know, even nowadays us starting a company to women, it still pops up with us. You All know, the time. Where we have to somehow get past the fact that we're just women who run a company. And we're like, that's cool, but that's not what we need to focus on, right? Yeah. In the, in regards to how sometimes we've been treated. Well, yeah. Like sometimes, I think one of the things I loved about this, reading this book is I I felt really heard and understood when mm-hmm. she talked about how she would say something and they don't hear the word she's saying. They just see what she is and and then they make, they they hear what they want to hear. And I'm like, that's so oftentimes has happened to me in running a company where I am saying something, but the stories being told about me are completely different. Oh, yeah. And um, and I'm like, that's something where I don't mind talking about that because I think if people are uncomfortable by that, they should ask themselves, like, why am I so uncomfortable when someone talks about being discriminated against? Mm. You know, and not just with women. I realize I have a lot of privilege because of the color of my skin, because of where I was born, circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand I am very privileged. I don't, but I also am like, I can have empathy for those who are marginalized because I've experienced that. Yeah. And so I love books that make people a little uncomfortable like this one. It's so important to be in discomfort sometimes. Yeah. Because then you can start to understand the plight of others. Yeah. And it raises your humanity your awareness mm-hmm. yeah and speech i loved it you know i was like <laughs> i have a lot of feelings yeah yeah no it was great and the whole book actually kind of pushes this agenda a little bit about not accepting the status quo of the, that time period you know and I, I just love that she sees things differently with her neurodivergence yes. because she's like that doesn't make any sense that does not make any sense to me whatsoever. And I'm not going to do it because of it. Yeah. And everyone in society is like, but this is how we do it. You know, so she is a scientist, but, you know, circumstances happen where she gets fired, if I remember right. And I'll just read this. It says, but like science, life is unpredictable, which is why a few years later, Elizabeth Zott finds herself not only a single mother, but the reluctant star of America's most beloved cooking show, Supper at Six. Yes. So there's this whole twist. Yes. And whatever she does, she's just going to do with like 110% and efficiency. And so she starts cooking. You know, she's cooking these really incredible meals for her daughter. and it Because just, it's chemistry. Because it's chemistry, exactly. Yes. And it turns into this opportunity for her to be on a TV show to do it. Well, yeah, her, um, you know, she falls in love with this scientist and he's able to be kind of like a buffer for her. She yeah. doesn't realize it until he's no longer a part of her life, that he was kind of making it possible for her to continue doing science, even though she's brilliant and should mm-hmm. have been able to do science no matter what. But he is no longer part of the picture and um, she they fire her, Yeah, you know, and that's kind of the injustice. And then this guy sees potential in her. Uh, she cooks a meal. Basically, he's a single father. This TV producer is a single father. And his daughter's in the same class as as her daughter, mm-hmm. Elizabeth's daughter. And the other girl 
keeps stealing her daughter's lunch because oh. she keeps making lunch for her daughter that's delicious. Elizabeth makes delicious yeah. lunches. And um, this guy gets in, she introduces herself to the dad and is like, you need to tell your daughter to stop stealing my daughter's lunches. That's inappropriate. And they're perfectly balanced for her needs. Like, for her needs, it's yes. All they're like, like chemistry, right? Yeah. These like perfectly balanced meals. And he is a TV producer who has an opening slot and boom, she gets the job. And she doesn't even want the job. Well, <laughs> but she they, has to pay for her family yeah. and support her family. They try to dollar all up and she hates it. Yeah. She's like, I'm not wearing that. Don't yes. put that makeup on me. And he's just like, oh my gosh, please just follow the norms, you know? Yeah. And she's like, no. Yeah. So it's really funny because she, um, you know, she calls things their chemical names. So like salt is sodium chloride. Yeah. Like, so pe- women are like obsessed with their show, writing down recipes, but it's all like the chemical like yeah. descriptions. And there's like one woman who's like, I don't believe in eating chicken. And she's like, well, when you eat vegetables, that's also a living thing. So your logic is flawed. Next. Yeah. There's like some really funny points in there. It was funny. I just, I love this book. Like women started um, like obsessing over her show because she always had this little thread of like feminism in it. Yes. Like this empowerment. Empowering the women because she knows how pushed down they were. And yeah. you know, even at the very end, she's what's her famous line like that she tells her suffers. Kid. Oh, oh, she's like, uh, mom needs a minute, right? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was, but uh, yeah, like suffers at six, mom, need, mom, mom needs a minute kind of a thing. Like she's like creating space. It's like, them. oh, you do the dishes, kids. Yeah, mom needs a minute. Yeah, because I just made dinner basically. Yeah. You know, and all the women are like, hell yes, you yeah. know, and, and she, she just like delivers these little one liners that makes perfect sense, but it's also like a stick it to the man, literally kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so women just started flocking and coming and coming to the show and it got huge, you know, and anyways, read it. It's incredible because it's so heartfelt. It's so authentic. It can be hard to read for the feminist side of it. But in the end, I thought it had a beautiful ending. It really did. It had and a beautiful ending. made us all really happy. So, yeah. And incredible discussion. We kind of got into a, a little healthy debate even. Yeah. Uh, which I think is wonderful to have those in the book club and just in general. And it was a great way for us to get to know some new members. Like we had some new members that came yeah. and I'm like, welcome and get to know us. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was good. I'll never walk away from something I really care about. So I'm like, I'll debate. Oh, I yeah. have to. <laughs> and, and and it's a, such a safe space, you know, the yeah. book club. Like that's the point of it. Um, and I'm really excited for the movie. It looks like it's going to be a great adaption. So it's good casting. Let's okay. move on. So the next one is kind of self-help kind of personality, psychology, spirituality. It's The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron, and it's about the Enneagram. And we've Ooh. talked a little bit about the Enneagram. Yes. The Enneagram is essentially a personality test, and it's it's complex. It's, it's very old, actually. It's yeah. been developed over many, many years. And the idea is that there are nine numbers that our personalities fall into, and it doesn't describe your full personality, but it describes maybe, I would say, the motivator, Mm-hmm. Of your personality, like the what motivates you to live life, get up, mm-hmm. you know, and what drives you almost, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it 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 felt a little daunting when I learned there were nine categories. Oh yes, because I'm used to ones that are like four or five. Yeah, well, I guess the Myers Briggs is kind of intense because we're both psych degrees. We're really into this. <laughs> we're really into personality tests. <laughs> but this is probably like we've done them all, and this is probably the most authentically close one I've found to really kind of put parameters around people's personalities and their motivators. Yeah. And there's, if you read the book, there's not actually a test that you take, which I thought was really beautiful. It is read the book, 
and you you will self-select which one makes the most sense to you, you'll just start being like, yes, yes, yes. Because there's like bullet points for each one. Yes. And I was highlighting the ones that I related to. And it was very clear to me like which ones I was falling yes. under. And you sort of, in a sense, diagnose yourself, if you want to call it that. Of like a personality. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about it is um, a lot of people out there are like, there's there's a group of people out there are like, I don't really believe in personality tests. And I'm all, okay, so you're a four. <laughs> you know, like you kind of start to see patterns with how people even respond to personality tests that like reflect mm-hmm. in the personality tests, personality tests. One thing I do love about um, Enneagram, well, I, I guess just as a caveat to personality tests in general is like, I think that if you give them so much power that people discriminate based mm-hmm. on them, then you've missed the whole point. The point of a personality test and this Enneagram book is to find a deeper empathy for others. It's if you can understand the drives, motivations, fears, weaknesses, and strengths of others, I feel like you can incorporate so much more compassion into your interactions with them. Like Absolutely. understanding people is so fundamental to EQ and like, mm-hmm. and just being a good communicator, if that makes sense. I think that's why I'm so drawn to them is it gives me tools mm-hmm. in my relationships with others. Uh, specifically, this one is with yourself. It really helps put the spotlight on, oh, that's why I do that. Yeah. It's so subconscious. A lot of the stuff that is in the book, it brings up, it helps you put a little light on that to understand yourself first and why you do the things you do and what drives you and what inspires you and what pushes you away. And then after you feel like you have a good grasp on yours, exactly, you expand out and learn about all the other ones. Yeah. And it gives you that generosity for others as well as empathy and understanding. Um. It helps me so much because even with my kids or my husband or friends, whatever it is, uh, if I know or can pick out maybe what I think their prime number might be, because um, you can essentially what's called wing on either side yes. of your number, which mm-hmm. is like, let's say I'm a five, I could wing a six or wing a four, uh, which is pretty common for most people. Or you can have two really strong numbers. But yeah. anyways, um, it, it just helps you understand them as to maybe why they're reacting a certain way or the best way to approach them or to communicate with them. So I just think it's incredible to have that tool in your tool belt for communication. And we talk about it a lot because we like to Enneagram different characters that we read. So we're like, we'll dig into that one later too. So highly recommend this one. Again, just you got to read it for yourself. We gave you the general outline, but it's going to go through each of the nine numbers and you will immediately start selecting out people that you know that you're like, oh my gosh, that is so, yeah, it so helps and so. you so much. And I'm like, it was fun at book club too, to like, oh yeah, you were like, um, when people said their numbers, some of them we like, I knew as I was reading it, I know the book club members enough to know what numbers they are, but some of them would say their number. And I'm like, oh, I understand you so much better now. Yes. I feel like I can, like, like that's what's driving you. Yes. And I feel like I I understand where if we have a miscommunication Mm -hmm. or what motivates you or why you really love to do this one thing or why you talk about this a lot. And Mm -hmm. it's, I would, I would highly recommend reading it as a book club. And then also make note that it's important to not weaponize these kind of things against people. Yeah. And to be really thoughtful about personality tests. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm like, I love, it's like the rainbow, right? Like you you want all of them and, you know, be able to move through all of them that you interact with. And just because one number might seem overwhelming to you, 
you know, don't villainize it. Yeah. So. I'm like to end this one. Cause we have, we have one more to talk about. Um, do you want, should we share Enneagram numbers? Oh, sure. I mean, mine's kind of a mess, but <laughs> I mean, okay. So I'm in, uh, eight wing seven mm-hmm. and I have a, my third highest one is the two. Mm-hmm. I have a lot in two. So mine is, uh, almost evenly split between mm-hmm. three. And so I relate to all three, but I am a combo between a two, five, and nine, mm-hmm. which is interesting because there's three different triads mm-hmm. when you learn more about it. And I have one in each triad. <laughs> it's like the heart, the gut, and the mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just a constant whiplash is what, is what it feels like. <laughs> I don't think so. But um I, ha- I have noticed that depending on the circumstance I'm in, I will kind of switch gears a little bit, but I feel them all really strongly. So, yeah. yeah. So I like it. that doesn't tell you anything unless you know about the Enneagram, but now maybe you'll be interested to learn more. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. The final one for this episode, The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides. Ooh, this is a good one. This is just a great psychological thriller. Oh, man. I always say this is like the gateway book to getting into the genre. Because yes. I haven't found anyone yet who has not loved this book. Yeah. And so if you're like, I don't do psychological dramas or thrillers, I'm not into murder mysteries or whatever, I'm always like, have you tried The Silent Patient? Yep. Give it a go. It's amazing. And I'm excited because he's writing a new book for 2024. Yes, I saw that. So it was like, on our list. It was on our list for 2024 recommendations. Yes, that's right. Um, okay, so this is... um. So Alicia Burrinson, I don't remember how the audio reader read it, but essentially she's an artist and she is a silent mental, uh, like insane asylum patient. She Mm -hmm. is the silent patient. Uh, She supposedly murdered her husband. She was committed to the... Um, it's like this bougie, bougie infirmary, <laughs> yeah, like much. mental institution. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know where the rich and famous murderers go. Yeah. Who knows? Um, and it's written from the perspective of her newly hired psychiatrist. Yeah, and I did not see the ending coming. Oh my gosh, at all. No, and it was it's intense. Some people in book club claim they did, but I was like, how? <laughs> I know I didn't. I mean, it, it was violent. Like she shot him five times in the face Yeah, and then never speaks a word again. And, and this incredible artist. Right. And so this guy takes an interest in it, wants to solve it. You know, this uh, therapist. therapist, you know, so he starts going down and making appointments. Um, He's drawn to her art and he's just like, what is this? Yes. And it's, starts to unravel and unwrap as it goes and the end totally blew me away too so i was yep. like i did not see it coming um but this is for sure a book we can't give you much more info on yep so it's a good one to end on <laughs> can't give you much info but i think the things that i did love about it for book club for book club um is the surprise ending the surprise mm-hmm. ending was fantastic um i loved that it talked about like human motivation Oh, like, yeah. what would you do in these circumstances? Always really good for book club discussion. There's this, like, morality question at the end. Like, mm-hmm. was the actions of these characters appropriate? Mm-hmm. Like, should they have done something different? So it just lends to great conversation Incredible. as a good book club should. Yeah. And just like that, we finished episode two. We did it. <laughs> of our top yep. 21 reads for deep and great conversation in a book club or in life. And with that, <laughs> asterisk, <laughs> colon, <laughs> your journey to starting a book club, hyphen. <laughs> All right. We've got one more episode. We're going to talk through seven more, the last seven. And this will give anyone who's interested in starting a book club a great place to start or just a great TBR list for everyone else who is listening. Awesome. 
Okay, okay. Well, thank you, reader. Thank you. Please remember to rate and review us. It helps us to keep the podcast going and we deeply appreciate your support. And like a good book, recommend us to your friends. 